Hello, loves. I just got done recording the interview that you are about to listen to. And if you do not already follow or subscribe or know about Dr. Michael Lennox, he has a podcast called Conscious Embodiment. Die, I love that title. Um, and he is a psychologist, an astrologer, and a dream interpreter. And he is fantastic, and you are about to find out why. So run, don't walk, follow him, and know I have so I have so much gratitude for what you're about to hear. I hope that it is super helpful. I think you're going to find it very, very interesting. Many of you will ask me about dreams in your readings when, when you have readings with me, and so I think that you are going to love this interview. Enjoy. Well, Dr. Michael Lennox, welcome to the Living Out Love podcast. I am freaking excited that you're here. And I have come to know you through your podcast, Conscious Embodiment. It's the the number one reason to wake up on a Monday. (laughs) Thank you, Amy. Yeah. And so I've come to know you as a psychologist, an astrologer, and a dream interpreter. So for my audience, can you just give us the background? (laughs) Like, how did you come to be those things? Right, right, right. It is a little bit of an odd sort of um, combo. When I was a kid, I was fascinated with my own dreams, and somehow Freud's interpretation of dreams came into my view at 15. It was shut up on my mother's shelf. And I read this book, and I got that there was this thing about dreams that they could be worked with. Uh, He used the word analysis. He could analyze a dream and get the meaning uh, of it. And I just used that idea to sort of have some moxie in high school. And kids would say, I had the craziest dream last night. I'd be like, well, tell me what you dreamed. I think I might have something to say about that. And there was something weird that happened, Amy. I would tell people dreams and I would just speak and people would be fascinated by what I had to say. And I later figured that I just, I had a gift. I had a gift for universal language where symbols have meaning. And I was able to hear people's dreams without projecting my own thing on them uh, when I, I could listen to the symbols in a dream purely. And so I just kept doing it. So even as a, you know, a person in my 20s, like I was known as the guy who interpreted dreams. Wow. I even did my first like workshop in that area in my like late 20s while I was still working in the entertainment industry um, in the business side of things. Like I was always on the left side kind of exploring my own spiritual practice and then teaching about dreams and dream interpretation. Then in my 30s, when the internet kind of exploded, I don't know why I got crazed for astrology. I had my first astrology reading at 25, and um, the astrologer made a copy of the chart for, for me, the client. So I was looking at this chart while she was talking, and I recognized some symbols of Mars and Venus, because they're the masculine, feminine symbols that you see out there in the world. And I was having this profound experience of astrology at 25 of, I get this. Yeah. Like, I fundamentally got it. So when the internet made connecting to to material a possibility that didn't exist before it, I just went nuts for studying astrology. Um, And it captivated me and it grabbed me. And then in my mid-30s, just having a little crisis, I broke up with the boyfriend. I was like, I don't know what to do. I think I'll go to grad school. (laughs) And I knew I didn't want to be a therapist, per se. But I knew I wanted to help people. I knew I wanted to speak and talk. I have a background as an actor. and I'm a performer at heart. But I didn't want to do that. I wanted to teach. So I thought, well, I don't want to be a therapist, but I need to know more about how the human psyche works. Let's go to grad school. And so by the time I hit like 40, I was done with my master's, half done with my doctorate, had done this TV show on the sci-fi network on dreams and dream interpretation, which kind of like codified me as an expert, air quotes, Mm -hmm. expert in the world of media. And then I was just off to the races. And it was like the career that I enjoy now developed itself, but it was that I had done all of this prep work in my 20s and 30s that when it was really time to have a radical sort of midlife crisis and a life change, this world opened up to me and now I run like two businesses in you doing astrology readings, astrology teaching, dream interpretation. I've written three books, a fourth one coming out in January. So like, like I, this, this, this is my whole life. 
his consciousness, teaching people about that through dreams, through astrology, through our human experience of wounds that we can heal. And that's my life. Yeah. I'm obsessed. I, so I own, yeah. I, I own two of your dream books and I go to oh, your, wow. um, the, you know, the ref the encyclopedia. Yeah. 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 yeah <laughs> I, I go yeah, to that too, yeah. all the time, all the time. So I'm, yes. I want to start with like the basics, like what are dreams? Well, this is a great unanswerable question, yeah. you know, what the fundamentally we don't know. Okay. We know a lot about the brain and brain structure and brain chemistry. And one of the hubris sort of aspects of science is that science will come up with something that happens, say, in the brain that relates to a mystical experience. And then suddenly science says, the mysticism isn't real. It's like, that's bullshit. Right. You're just discovering what the brain is doing while a mystical experience is happening. It doesn't eradicate mysticism. Right. So there are things we know about REM sleep. We are processing memory in REM sleep. We're going over everything we experienced in the day and picking out the important material and turning it into short-term memory and discarding the rest. That's really important because if we didn't, our brains would explode with data and we'd begin hallucinating. Also, the brain poops. Just yeah. like every cell in the body creates metabolic waste, so do brain cells. But the brain can't use the lymphatic system to clear that metabolic waste out because there's this blood-brain barrier. The brain has to be protected from the rest of the body. So the brain has this crazy way of like shrinking its cells, filling the in-between with cerebral spinal fluid, and the cells expand back up, pushing the waste out, and then shoving all of that cerebral spinal fluid into the spinal column and out of the brain in that way. That's how we clean the brain off, and that happens during REM sleep. So the scientists would say dreams have no meaning. There's no mystical connection. It's just detritus from the day's data and this inner phenomenon of the brain. Now that's nonsense. It's great that we know what the brain is doing, but the idea that dreams aren't profoundly mystical or transformative or that they're not reflecting our unconscious processing is nonsense. They are. Do I know what they are? No, I don't. Do I know that we visit a kind of multidimensional landscape in dreams? Yeah. Anything can happen and probably will in a dream state because we're in not normal space. Um, so I think that, that dreams are a snapshot of what's in our immediate psyche on the moment that we have them. So they will reflect things that we're struggling with or, or working on. I think that's why dreams that are scary and difficult are more memorable because they're reflecting conflicts that we're working out. Um, and this multidimensional experience of tapping into material where the three-dimensional limitations of life no longer apply. That's why in dreams we can connect with people who have passed, who once were in bodies and now are no longer, but there they are in our dream life, where we can have a dream and someone else that we're close to has a dream at the same time yeah. about the same material. So if that's happening, then there's got to be something more mystical that the dream is. Even if science can't describe that, the mystic certainly can. And so I would certainly describe dreams as access to everything that's happening below the surface of our conscious awareness and our ability to tap into our mystical sensibility and have a greater experience of that. That's a much more beautiful answer than I was anticipating. <laughs> so do all dreams matter or like so some people be like oh I just had a stress dream yeah that's a great question and I I uh, uh, the answer is you do not have to interpret every dream and I think you go nuts trying to does that mean that some dreams have meaning and others don't I'm not sure that that's true exactly, but I certainly have heard thousands of people say, oh, wow, this dream grabbed my attention. And like, what does that even mean to the person who's had the dream? All they know is they can't stop thinking about it. Yeah. And so uh, uh, the idea that there are dreams that grab our attention like that, well, then that has to influence how I would answer this question. Because I do believe that the psyche or the soul 
tells us when we need to pay attention by making a dream more memorable. Mm. Now, to what you said is like, is that just a stress dream? I'll, I'll, I'll answer that with this little sort of tidbit. There are standard recurring dreams that everybody has. There's a category of them. You know, the typical ones are flying, falling, being chased, tsunamis are big, zombie apocalypses are big if you're under 40 because of all of the, you know, influence of media and video games. Uh, 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 so we dream about that a lot. Um, uh, teeth falling out. If you have one of those dreams that you've had a thousand times in your life, that's a standard stress dream. But there are recurring dream themes that can come up that are not one of those standard stress dreams, but thematic in nature. Um, and now suddenly we're in a, like a place where I'd have to say, oh, yeah, no, the psyche wants you to pay attention to this. Yeah, mine's always snakes. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. So you know that. Yeah. So your psyche has a vocabulary that snakes are scary, snakes are stressful, and that's the dream that your brain says, ooh, Amy's stressed, let's throw her that snake dream. And then if we add the symbolic meaning and interpretation of snakes, they're always about change and transformation. Life is filled with change, change is scary. Amy has snakes dreams when life is changing. Yes, which is always- And so you can wake up the next day and face the changes. Yeah, and for me, I feel like my dreams are often bringing to me what I haven't acknowledged that I need to acknowledge. Oh yeah, that's beautiful. With the snakes, it's like I often dream it when I have a lot of fear about change, but I haven't acknowledged that I'm feeling fear. Ooh, well that's perfect. That fits right into my view of the dream purpose has something to do with the unconscious needing to let us know this needs your attention. So yeah. I think that's a brilliant example of that playing out in your regular dream life. Mm. Oh, so I'm going out of order the way I thought I would ask these questions, but since we just <laughs> talked about snakes, what the heck is up with animals and dreams? Like, I feel like every time I have a dream about an animal, it's scary or they're like peeing on me or they're biting me. Like it's, what, is that just me? Why are animals weird in dreams? Well, let me start with the idea of animal medicine. Okay. Right. That we have, uh, a, a, a desire in the human psyche to elevate certain symbols that live inside of us, and animal medicine is part of that. And that certainly comes back from a time on the planet where we were revering mother as a goddess and, and, and animals, and, and our immediate environment was informing us before, you know, 4,000 years ago and the colonization of the West sort of started. It is in our DNA to respond to images of animals as sacred psyche. Mm. That's why there are websites and books and, 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 and all sorts of you know, uh, uh, resources that tap like a modern Western culture into these animal meanings that First Nations people all over the world, like that's, that's, their, that's their spiritual structure. So I want to start by saying this, any and every dream about an animal for my money is reflecting the soul's expression of powerful archetypal energy that's either part of your soul's expression or necessary at a moment in time where the struggle or the stress would benefit from the medicine that the animal in the dream represents. You know, spiders are about patience because they spread their little, you know, fabulous web and they go to the corner and they wait. They're not sitting there complaining, where's my fly? They're just waiting for the fly to come because they trust abundant flow, but patience is necessary. So suddenly a dream about a spider might be, oh, I need some patience. You know, bears know when to hibernate, but also have great strength and power that they don't need to, like, exhibit in order to show us mm. like no one's looking at a bear thinking oh that's a skinny little thing that i don't have to worry about <laughs> right so bear might show up when strength or fortitude or hibernation is necessary right, right. so there's just a couple of examples as a person who has heard thousands and thousands of dreams throughout my life i this is hyperbolic and I don't mean it absolutely, but I've never heard people, that's not true, not never heard it, but it's so common for 
animal totem dreams to express fear, rejection, and terror when the animal is present, like your experience of being urinated on or bitten. That is so common, and for my money, it's still an animal totem dream, and most of us are more afraid of our power than we know. Mm. And so the dream that says, here's the essence of the energy that's in you, that's powerful, that will assist you, might come along with some fearful imagery as we acclimate to allowing this strength to come up and be integrated by us. But even just the idea of being bitten or urinated on by an animal in a dream, both of those are very sacred interactions with the animal. The animal bites you, that's an extension of their penetration of you. Oh. And an urination, I mean, my God, there's nothing more powerful than an animal marking its territory with urine. So if you get urinated on by an animal in your dream, I would call that a sacred interaction with the animal medicine. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so do you... Do you ever think that dreams are related to past lives or you might have like a past life vision in a dream? That's a question I get All asked. All the okay. time. Okay. Now, that, this is actually interesting for me personally because I, it's not like I don't vibe with the idea of past lives. I, I, I do. I'm more inclined to thinking that we've been everybody. That we've connected to, that we can connect to every life there's ever been. And that when someone vibes on a past life, it's not because they have been this person in the past and no one else has been that person. Oh. I, right, so I have this sort of belief, yeah. and it's private and personal. I don't teach about this. And the reason I don't teach about past lives is because I have these sort of ambivalences about declaring that it looks like this. Oh. I don't think we know what it looks like. And so I personally, but I will tell you, Amy, I have heard many dreams where I just, what flew out of my mouth was, this feels like a past life dream. Yeah. So th then, okay, well then, why would that be? There has to be some quality of the dream to cause me to say that. And I would assume that it's some kind of wholeness and completeness of environment. It looks and feels like a consistent other place where most dreams are so amorphous from setting to setting to setting in rapid succession of change and chaos in that dreamlike way, past life dreams tend to have an environment that feels more solid mm -hmm. as if you were having a dream of visiting a place. Right, yeah. And so the dreamer might say, I was in a place or in a town or at a history, you know, la, la, la. And in the listening for me, it might be like, hmm, sounds like a past life dream. Yeah. And so I, I believe in the mystical potential of dream state. So why not? Why not have that be something that's possible? Right. I, I, I like your amb ambiguity around past lives. I really resonate with that. <laughs> I mean, I, I, get, I do readings for people where we look at their past lives and, and people right. it comes up in their dreams. And so, yes, that's, that's really interesting. Well, it, part of it is my half-scientist, half-mystic perspective. Mm -hmm. And that's how I describe myself, right on the fence. I am fully woo as they get, like fully, fully, fully. But I have a scientific mind, and I was raised by a scientist, right? So I was raised to see the world empirically. In fact, my mother was like, there's no such thing as God. There's no such thing as intuition. There's no such thing as psychic ability. And I'm like, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> so, in fact, that pushback was helpful to me in the long run, although painful, you know, in some ways. Um, um, so because I have to have some scientific sort of backing before I would declare something to be so, I know that we're connected to the past. I have felt it. I have heard it. There's just no questioning that, that, I, that we are right. somehow. But the idea that anybody can describe something that is ultimately a mystery right. is it's like, 
you do know it's a mystery, right? <laughs> I did a workshop. I didn't do the workshop. I was facilitating a group that did like bi-monthly workshops for the gay community in Los Angeles years ago. And we had a past life regression person come and she did a whole whiteboard presentation about how everybody has 12 people in their soul group and this, that, and the other thing. And I was standing in the back of the room with a colleague and was like, how does she know that? Right. Now, I'll counter this last. I, I had no idea I was going to have so much to say about this, but I'll counter my last sort of thing to say about that notion of like, how do they know that? People also have their private wisdom that they get revealed. Yeah. I have not had the, reve the, the revelation about past lives for me to say, yes, this is what happened. But what if she's right? What if there are 12 and she got that revelation, right? So I, I always maintain some measure of respect, but the language that will come out of my mouth will always be right in the middle of, of I think this is so, I still don't have proof, and I'm glad you like it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. I One of the themes of my like leadership background has been explaining to people, we have to increase our tolerance for complexity. <laughs> Just, <laughs> I love that. As a species, this is a yep. growth that we need to yep. move towards. I love that. That's kind of brilliant. Um, okay. Another question that I'm dying to know because it irks me. Why sometimes in a dream, do we dream of a person, but it looks like someone else? And here's my example. Like, I'll dream of my husband, but it doesn't look like the sexy man that I married. It looks like my college boyfriend that was not a great relationship. But in the dream, I like, I know it's my husband. It just doesn't. Okay. First of all, you get points for asking a question that I don't think I've ever been asked before. Yes. <laughs> so I have to sort of lean in like to this, the way that I work is like, I don't know the answer to that question, but there's a part of me that does, and we're tapping into that part right now. I, I think that because everything is a reflection in life, everything is this holographic reflection so that the people we know, the people we love, the people we relate to is part of this holographic reflection thing. Even your spouse or your partner is really just a projection of the part of you that is your inner beloved. I mean, there's a whole field of psychology around that called imago psychology where mm -hmm. you do couples counseling based on you have an, Im an inside image of your beloved, so does your partner, and then that's the projection you're struggling with to like figure out like who you both are because you're projecting something onto each other. So from the perspective of this holographic projection mirror consciousness that we are, I do believe that dreams are often taking us into the parts of us that are well reflected by someone in our life. So even the dream about your spouse or partner, it's not about them, it's not their dream. It's about the part of you that they reflect or they represent. Mm. So we, we do this with all people who appear in a dream in what I call the inner circle of interpretation. There are other ways to interpret dreams and people in your dream might be reflecting actual outside relationship stuff with them. But the pure sort of inner circle is just when, well, everybody in my dream is a part of me, a reflection of me. And so very often that's very obvious. You dream about your friend who's the most sort of discerning and careful and sort of, you know, uh, uh, moves slowly and mindfully because you need that at that moment, not mm -hmm. impulsivity. And then when that's literal, we get that. Like, it's like it's not Marcy in your dream. It's Marcy's qualities that you need right now. So that's a standard thing that we do in the world of interpreting dreams. So to your question, why sometimes does somebody look one way but feel clearly like they are someone that we know and we orient to? And so my answer to that is back to your thing about complexity. There's two things going on in that moment. One is the felt deep sense that you're perceiving spouse. 
but in the wild multidimensional landscape of a brain that's just flipping out on thousands of you know impulses per millisecond also processing memory, also clearing out metabolic waste in this crazy chaotic place. It's like sometimes who shows up will look like that, but feel like this. Mm. So that that's my best answer that I, I wouldn't go immediately to the idea that there's purpose and meaning that the person looks different, but feels like something else. I would go with, well, the feeling counts more. You know, it's just like home. It's like, oh, I was in a home that I wasn't my home, but I knew it was home. Hmm. Well, then we know we're having a dream about the sense of self that homes reflect, even if it looks different. So we might interpret a dream about someone who looks different or seems different, but is felt as someone. That might, you know, engender a really interesting conversation about your relationship with that person if I was sitting with somebody really dissecting the dream. Yeah. But there might be meaning in the ambiguity to interpret, but I think at the heart of it, it's just, it's all that chaos and complexity. We go with the felt sense. That's interesting. I had wondered, and I'm going to read you a dream later that includes that theme, but I had wondered oh, yeah. if, um, if it was like the version of me that was in that relationship, if it was that version of me that was acting out the dream like if it was a sign that my subconscious was taking me back to this is what your life would be like if you weren't growing up oh i like that listen one of the beautiful things about dreams and dream interpretation is 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 that we always have to respect the dreamer yeah. more than the outside well it's like oh that dream doesn't mean that honey right. i know better because i'm the dream expert it's like yeah but it's your dream right so i love the way that you have contextualized something that's part of your dream vocabulary. So therefore we have to honor that, honey, because you you are the the guardian of your own soul, <laughs> not the dream interpreter. Mm. Well, what's funny is, so I'd already had that question like ready to go because that's something that happens for me a lot. And when I went on Instagram and asked people like, what are your questions? A friend of mine whose dad has passed, he passed many years ago, She's been dreaming about him, but they seem like dreams, not visitations. And she said that in her dreams, he has not aged, but she has. And she was like, so what is that? Now he's passed, yes? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. So, so I think this is a perfect example that he, especially if she says they're dreams, not visitations, you know, visitation dreams are very simple. They're very singular in setting. They often take place in a, in a lot of benches in these <laughs> dreams. Like sitting on a bench, sitting on a bench in a park, um, or right in the bedroom that you're sleeping in. And there, you know, the person is usually not saying anything, but conveying a sense of love or all is well. If they do say something, it's often, I love you and all is well. It's right. like, that's a, like, visitation dreams have a very specific thumbprint and signature. Dream dreams are just dream dreams, and dream dreams can, you know, have people who have passed in it, and as long as the storyline of the dream is dreamlike and not singular, then you're right. Your friend is describing dreams where she is processing stuff that relates to her father's influence, her father's, you know, participation in early life. And so the age she shows up in, like if I knew this about her and we were working together, I'd be like, well, how old were you when your father looked like he was in the dream? Mm. And that might yield some interesting things about why she's perceiving him at a particular age that's younger. Yeah. Oh, gosh, it's so beautiful. I just love it's the so mysticism beautiful. with I the – I just love it. So what about black and white versus color dreams? Is that significant? <laughs> Well, it, it's only significant in that people say, oh, I dreamed in color. So then there's this ipso facto idea that other dreams are in black and white. Now, if I've heard 3,000 people say to me, it was in color, right. I, maybe I've heard it, like I'll say, like maybe just to like circumnavigate my propensity for hyperbole because i that's me i just speak in big grand gestures um i don't think i've ever heard anybody say i had a dream in black and white mm. so 
my experience tells me that when someone reports I'm dreaming in color, it's because the dream is somehow amplified in a colorful way, and that might be making it more memorable. It might be part of why it's stuck in the waking life. I have a strong belief that the dreams we remember is on purpose, that our unconscious is doing things so that we will pay attention more, and vibrant colors enough to lead someone to describe the dream that way is a more memorable experience. But I don't think that people dream in black and white when they're not having those vivid color experience. I just think the color is irrelevant in most dreams. And uh, uh, you know, certainly I'll be on the based on this question, I'll be on the lookout again for someone saying I dreamed in black and white. But I'm telling you, it's not something I've heard much. Okay, ever. I do dream in black and white, but most of the time Ooh, I dream. Tell in me color. about that. Tell me about that. I had a very memorable dream once that was in black and white. And I remember in the dream realizing that I was like, not that I was Jesus, but that I could do everything that Jesus did. Jesus did. And yeah. I remember in the dream, there were like a bunch of people that I was trying to protect. And I was like, I'm, I'm like Jesus. I can just, I can just do this. And I made myself kind of big and like was a dome over them. And this person was like whipping me. And I was like, doesn't hurt doesn't hurt. And I woke up and I remember thinking that was in black and white. So that's my most memorable black and white dream. No, no. And what a perfect, what a perfect vibrant and passionate dream for me to like then reflect back to you. There's always the ability to interpret something. And so there are two interpretations that come up for me with black and white. One would be the absence of passion versus the presence of passion, right? We could think of black and white as sort of having, you know, loss of something yeah. that is vibrant when color is present. But you can't escape black and white as a notion of this or that, either or, like a real binary. Yeah. Either God is in you, which was the message of Jesus, mm -hmm. or he's not. You either have mystical power to protect others or you don't. It's black or white, oh. right? And when we boil belief and mystical ambiguity down to something like that, it's like God either is or not. And I got to say for your listening audience, when I use the word God, I'm, I'm more in alignment with atheists and, and, and quantum physicists. I'm not talking about the God of religion. That is a human projection of nothing. It's right. got nothing to do with the divine, that, as I am describing it. Um, but yeah, I think that um, it's one of those things that either is black and white. You either have that mojo and magic in you because you're a child of God, or you don't. It's black and white. And in clearly in that dream, what the, as I hear it, the dream is about that you can and then you did. Yeah. That's so interesting. Every other black and white dream I've had, it's like I woke up and I was like, oh, my brain's just processing. Like I was just remembering this and stressed out about if I was going to remember to fill out that form. So I remember having other black and white dreams, but that's the only one that was actually memorable. Well, I, 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 I love that you had a memorable one to share with me. And, and again, now two extra points for you. You asked me a question that had never been asked before, and then you provided a dream experience that I don't know that I've ever heard, like, you know, expressed as blatantly as you did. I had dreams in black and white. There you so go. Yay. yay. So I want to be mindful of the time, but I have to ask before, I'm going to read a dream for you, but before we do that, yeah. what do you think is the value? Like if you had to sell people on why it's worth paying attention to your dreams, what do you think is the potential? I don't think that there's anything more valuable than self-exploration, self-knowledge, the healing of wounds, the releasing of trauma, and then the integration of an integrated self. Like that, that's, that, is, that is the most important thing that there is to do because everything else comes from that. When we're aligned in our integrated self, when we know who we are, when we're not shoving things into the shadow, we have better lives. Mm -hmm. I believe that even without remembering dreams, that the function of dreams has, at least one of the function of dreams is we practice living. Ooh. 
So you go to bed, you have a dream, it's wildly stressed, you can't get where you want to go, you can't find your keys, you can't pack in time for the plane, you're rushing, oh, blah, 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 blah. That's like your psyche saying, I need to get better at being a human, managing my time, having my fears and doubts, having my heart break. I have to get better at that. And so we practice our stressful experiences in dreams so that we can wake up and face life on life's terms after dreaming of the difficulties. I believe that this is happening for every human being and probably the animal kingdom as well, that somehow, just as the brain is doing something rational in the REM state of collecting important experiences and turning them into memory, the soul is extracting important information about how to be a better person in a body so that we wake up wiser on a Tuesday than we were on a Wednesday. And I believe that dreams is where we integrate the stuff that's below the surface of our consciousness that we're typically too frightened to know or marinate in. But in the dream world, we, we hop right down there into the scary, difficult you know, uh, uh, circumstances that dreams put us through. And then we wake up and we are better at mm -hmm. being a human being. I think this is happening organically all by itself as part of the function of sleeping and waking. If we then participate in that process from an awake, conscious place by remembering our dreams, by writing them down, by sharing them with another, by seeking an interpretation, and the best thing you could do with a dream is to respond to it creatively. Draw the dream imagery. Oh. Do a, do a dance around the living room in the spirit of the dream. Like, I mean, any, write a poem about the dream content. Like, that to me is the kahuna of responding to the dream material by sort of saying to your unconscious, I'm paying attention. Mm. I sometimes call dreams a knock knock joke from the unconscious. Oh. Who's there? Well, if you don't say who's there, the the unconscious can't give you more information. So having a dream is the unconscious knock-knocking you. Yeah. Paying attention to the dream is to say to the unconscious, who's there? And the next night, the unconscious says, boo. And then you say, boo-hoo. <laughs> and the third night, the unconscious says, boo, you're crying, or whatever that silly joke is. So the point being that when we in our waking state, pay attention to what our unconscious is doing, we amplify its efficacy. We grow faster when we're actively shepherding the experience of self-exploration that dreams allow. Mm. Yes, preach, <laughs> preach. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna read a dream that I had months ago so that my audience can get an understanding of why I'm so obsessed with you. Um, ah. before I do shout out to Zoe, your co-host, who's amazing yes, picking and reading the are. dreams. Um, and I want to say the, a, this was one of those dreams that was memorable that I woke up and was like, somebody's trying to tell me something, but, right. but B, there were a few things in it that I couldn't find in your dream encyclopedia. Yep. And so I was like, okay, this Here is, we it. are. All right. All right. I was in an office. It felt perhaps like a dean of a college. It was a professional conversation, but also personable. I was complaining about something, and the older man, the authority figure, was hearing me out and validating my grievances, but also bolstering me. I don't remember the specifics of the conversation, but it felt like a the only way through it is through it type of sentiment. I left the office and started walking around what felt like a big campus or a small town. Everyone I saw annoyed me. I felt trapped. <laughs> I even saw my husband in the dream, but he looks like my college boyfriend, but I thought of him as my current husband. I was walking fast so no one would see me and try to talk. Then I saw a dry cleaners, and I thought it was the perfect place to hide. Like, no one expects to find somebody studying or working in a dry cleaners. Right. So when I walked inside, it was a huge open warehouse. It had bright white walls, some round table tables covered in white table linens. The walls were lined with tall glass display cases. Way at the back was the dry cleaning and a man on the phone who nodded at me as I looked around. 
The display cases were filled with table decor, like tchotchkes, gemstones, artwork, antiques, books, anything old or weird seemed to be there. Eventually, I found my way to a table and decided to get to work. The tables also had lots of small objects, many rocks and spearheads. As I was picking up some of the rocks, I realized that most of them were shaped like animals. The first time I looked at a rock, I didn't notice anything, but when I looked at it again, it looked like a bear. Then the door rang and two women walked in. I realized it was my mom and grandmother. I was so relieved it was my mom. No offense to grandma, but I kind of ignored her. <laughs> Not only was I relieved that it wasn't someone annoying, but I was genuinely thrilled to see my mom. I immediately started showing her the subtle animal shapes found in the old rocks, and I was so excited to share that experience with her. Then there was a large object in the middle of the table. It had a green patina to it. We weren't sure if it was painted or if it somehow aged that way. Then we realized it was made of wood. We started touching it and realized it was a cricket. The object was oh. about the size of a 10 pound dog, but it was definitely shaped and sculpted like a cricket. After a closer inspection, we realized that someone had made this cricket. It had rods, which created the ability for the cricket's wings to move. And we marveled at it. Then my mom glanced at an adjacent table and saw another one but this one had something wrong with one of its wings. So she went to try and fix it. As she messed with it, I realized that the giant wooden cricket was alive. And I said, mom, the cricket's alive, back up, look, it's alive. Mom said, oh good, I bet he'll be so happy if I get his wing fixed. Then I saw the wooden cricket turn its head and bite down on my mom's arm. And that's when I woke up. Damn. I know it's so long, but <laughs> it was so long, honey. I was losing my fucking mind. I, I don't know. mind telling you. I'm so you. sorry. But that's why I type. I don't know if you could hear me typing. If anybody heard clickety clacking, it's because I'm 60 now and I have to type notes. I am so glad to know younger. that. I've been wondering how oh, you do it. Oh, honey, when I was younger, I could have heard this dream and kept every bit of it in my mind without having to write it down. I am 60. The brain, the brain is not that plastic anymore. <laughs> so yes, this was a long dream. Yeah. But I have to start by telling you that today, the day we're recording this podcast, I went out onto my porch and next to my uh, welcome mat and my sneakers and that I keep out on the porch because I'm a no-shoe house, um, there was a dead cricket. Aww. And I marveled at it. I was like, now that's an interesting living dream. Yeah. And then when I came back from yoga and chiropractor, I saw it again, and my thought was, you need to pick this cricket up and do something with it, sacred-wise, you know, yeah. uh, um, uh, which I haven't done because then I had to get home and, like, work. <laughs> but I'm sure the cricket is still there. Yeah. Anyway, the power of the divine connection that, that unites us all is greater than our conscious awareness can ever understand. Mm. This is an example of that. It's just a synchronicity, but that's what synchronicities are. They're little rips and tears in the fabric of structure that tell us we're more connected than we know. Um, so I'm gobsmacked by the cricket piece. Yeah. So I'd have to start with that. Me too. And crickets aren't in your encyclopedia. I was like, what do crickets mean? Are they really not? They're not. I mean, I, I believe you. Like, I yeah. have no idea. Like, I don't remember anything about writing. Like, I've, I, I've read a, wrote a book that's coming out in January on mystical dreams, and I don't remember writing any of it. But okay. I wrote it all last year. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so crickets, where you end up with, you know, crickets are a powerful sort of uh, uh, animal totem that connects to, we certainly have wisdom with Jiminy Cricket. He's entered the zeitgeist of Western thought. Um, um, you know, so we, we, we end with Cricket, and that'll be important. I, I don't want to say anything more about okay. Cricket because at this moment I have no idea what I'm going to say about <laughs> Cricket until I get there. Um, but let's, let's start with that you begin in an office. So we know that you're in consideration of the sort of left brain structural aspects of your life, not the things that bring you juicy joy. We get there, the warehouse is about that, right? But we start with something about this consciousness of everything that's not mystical in your life. 
um, the fact that, that there's this potential dean of college and a college thing, then we're also in like, how did you enter your adult life? You were perhaps, you know, indoctrinated into the office consciousness, um, but you're being told by that sort of left brain authority in you. Like, how do I manage the office aspect of being a human? The only way out is through. The only mm -hmm. way around is through, right? There's, so there's this authoritative power that's saying, um, and so we'll call office consciousness as all of the important stuff and none of the interesting. Okay. Like, I had a, bo I had a boss once, at, you know, at, at, at MGM where I was doing sales. He was like, Michael, you're really good at the interesting, but you got to get better at the important. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because who cares about the important? Like, fuck that. Yeah. I want to do the interesting stuff. So this is, I think, a dream about you understanding the things that you have to get through and that are important are the things you just have to do. You have to, the only way through is through. Mm. Um, that annoys you. Uh-huh. Right? So the annoyance piece is interesting because the first act of the dream is bumping you into, well, what's the problem? Well, the problem is all this stuff I have to get through. And where you go in the third act is where all the rich, juicy stuff is. So the second act is where you're then walking through this big comp campus or small town. So that has something to do with a sense of community. You're walking through your experience of community, thinking about who you are now with a connection to the past. Even mm -hmm. your husband in the dream that looks like your, high, your college boyfriend means that you're in consideration of who are you now vis-a-vis how you were indoctrinated into being an adult in this life college oh. okay mm -hmm. so I love the fact that a dry cleaner <laughs> is is where you go to sort of off shed this annoyance and get to the next thing right so we could go anywhere with dry cleaners as you know poisonous and awful chemicals right but it's not real life it's and the dry cleaner leads you to this expansive part of you that's rich and juicy. So we, for me then, the dry cleaner, which you think is the perfect place to hide, indeed is. So then it's about cleaning off something. And it's cleaning off material in your psyche that won't clean off simply. Fat-based soap ain't going to cut it to help you offload your office mentality, you're gonna need something stronger, more powerful, dry cleaning. Mm. And indeed, as you go through the dry cleaner, then it's like your psyche opens up and says, look at all of this that you have <laughs> stored up. You own this warehouse. Mm. Warehouse is about an enormous part of your psyche that you can store all kinds of stuff and material. And if you go in there and you get way to the back, so you really enter this place, then you find that you're not only have access to all of this rich, juicy material. Some of it's old and ancient. Some of it's just colorful and interesting. It's displayed. It's shown to you. So to me, then, this warehouse is your inner resource for everything magical, mystical, and powerful that relates to your past and your present and your future and a little bit of magic thrown in. Wow. And it introduces you to the animal medicine consciousness. Rocks and stones and arrowheads and things like that are about the Earth's ancient memory. Mm. Rocks are her memory, right? The rocks remember everything. The, 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 the earth will reflect, you know, I mean, you know, the ground reflects the earth's, you know, past and history, right? So there's all of that piece of, of this, um, this inner resource that then you have to consider the ancestry here because mom and grandma come up. Are there ways that your mother in encouraged your mystical thinking? In hindsight, I would say yes. And, and she and I have a, a really good relationship now, too. So literally, I was like, well, that makes sense. And, and why do you suppose you were less interested in um, grandma? 
she and I have similar wounds, and I so I find her triggering. Like I, it's not a mirror I look li- like looking into. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, okay, interesting. Then I would say that because you focus on mother and ignore grandma, we're gonna we're gonna call that for you, not against you, right? It's not a dream about you're not looking at what you need to look at. I think she's there because there's a generational aspect to the dream because mom and grandma and you make for three generations of passing down consciousness. And it's just grandma's is less important right. in this dream. Um, and unless grandma was like helping you be mystical as a child, then, oh. then that's not really interesting. Okay. Um, so I love that you have a dream about Bear, and I sort of grabbed Bear uh-huh. to talk about, like, at the top of the show. So that's another little synchronicity and connection between you and I. You know, so Bear is an interesting symbol for power because it's power that doesn't need to show you that it has power. It's known by just looking at the strength of Bear and their understanding of the Earth cycles. Mm. Bears hibernate when the Earth is hibernating. Winter is Earth hibernating. Metabolism slows. Growth goes away. In some areas of the world, it's covered with cold and snow. Right? So Bear knows this. Bear goes to sleep when the world goes to sleep. So Bear has got a lot of mystical power. I love the green color that shows up before we meet Cricket. There seems to be a transition, I think, between bear and Cricket through Mm -hmm. the green patina on the large object. So that gets your attention first, right? The green, the size and the greenness gets your attention. Mm -hmm. Well, green is the color of the heart chakra in the seven chakras of the body and Uh the seven colors of the spectrum. When you align them, the red is the root chakra, orange goes to the sacral chakra, the, you know, uh, uh, solar plexus is yellow and green is the heart. So I love that this figure is both green and wood, meaning it's very organic. Mm. Right? It's, if it was made out of plastic, it'd be a different, you know, sort of meaning. So you come in this great warehouse where you have access to all your mysticism, you zero in on something that turns out to be cricket. Sizable, it's 10 pounds, you said, 10 pound dog, possible? So we think of everything, right? Why 10? Well, 10 and zero is one. One in numerology is beginnings. So there might be something about this connection with the, with the cricket dog wood figure <laughs> that's about beginning a heavier, larger access to whatever cricket energy might mean right? Mom, who's the ally in the dream, is all about making sure that this part is fixed. Wings help us fly. It's Mm. your dream. It ain't the cricket's dream. There's no cricket out there suffering with a broken wing, having a dream about some woman who tried to fix it. (laughs) Maybe maybe there is a cricket out there who had a dream about some woman come trying to fix it. But from the perspective of it's your dream, you've been given this gift of cricket that isn't quite ready to fly Mm. and needs some help, right? So if the dream is taking you away from office consciousness and into mystical stored up consciousness, you're still not quite ready to fly because there's a broken wing that needs to be sort of fixed. Um, And and somehow mother energy, or even if it's self-nurturance and it doesn't have to do with your mom, but, but that you, in caring for yourself more directly, then you get access to Cricket. Um, crazy that I didn't put Cricket in the <laughs> Dream Dictionary, but as we were sitting here, I went to the best Dream Dictionary in the world, which is Google, <laughs> and I just Googled Cricket Animal Medicine, and the first thing I came up with, and this makes sense, I've heard this before, prosperity, wealth, and abundance. That makes sense, too. When you think about crickets and locusts, they show up in great numbers. And so there's an enormity when we're in the consideration of that particular animal. Um, So the final sort of message of the dream is 
You have access to all of your mystical powers. They're right there in that little warehouse. You're storing it all up. Uh, there's tables to work on it, which is great because there's some work to do. You gotta fix the wing of your inner cricket so that you can enjoy more of the abundance and prosperity that is your birthright. Mm. That's that's my take on the dream. I love it. I love it. That's it. Yes, it resonates. So I'm going to we're almost out of time. I'm going to say one more thing and then I'm going to let you close us out with how people can work with you and find you and all that. Sure. Sure, sure. I I think we need more than one word for wisdom. And I feel like the kind of wisdom that you bring, I mean, you said it yourself that you're the combination of science and mind and mm. mysticism. The kind of wisdom that you bring to me is quick, it's clear, but it's mm. deep. Mm. And it just, it it resonates. So wherever you're at, at a soul level, I, I always just feel like I, I vibrate with you and I just, I so appreciate your flavor of wisdom and so thank you for bringing it to the podcast well thank you honey i'm moved i mean that's i mean i'm moved like literally moved and thank you i i um i feel seen <laughs> good that's the goal for my leo friend over there um, that's right baby <laughs> yeah okay so for everybody that doesn't have yeah. the pleasure of knowing you how can they find you follow you work with you what all do you sure. offer michaellennox.com is my website and that is certainly just the place to go yeah. i am active with astrology every day on social media so on instagram TikTok, facebook in two places uh, um, um, i put out daily videos called red robe astrology so i i, I have uh, it's completely free uh, um, and you can find those places yeah uh, uh, through the website so rather than like because all my handles are different like i didn't okay like, I wish I had the foresight, you know, 15 years ago to keep all the handles the same. But michaellennox.com will get you to my social media where I put out daily astrology sort of videos every morning in my bathrobe with my bedhead. Um, I teach astrology, and I also teach sort of consciousness, shadow work, um, and self-exploration. They're two very distinct ways that I'm teaching. The The classes that I teach that are self-investigation classes, those are in the realm of like modern shadow work. We take mm -hmm. a look at patterns that are in there from your child of origin, you know, childhood upbringing uh, stuff and wound healing. I have a whole series where we use myths and fairy tales as the template to explore themes of our humanity. Oh, yeah. um, at this moment, I'm done with all of my process classes for the year. There'll be eight or nine of them that will show up next year that I teach, one on forgiveness, one on shadow work, four of them using the myths and fairy tales. What I'm doing right now, like right now when this podcast comes out, I, in 18 and 19, I was teaching astrology in a big way, but the pandemic came along and this other teaching grabbed my attention. I just had to go with it for a couple of years. So I really put astrology teaching away mm. until this year. So what I'm creating at michaellennox.com is a complete comprehensive astrology school. Wow. So it starts with, right now I'm teaching a class, I call it Astrology 101. It's a comprehensive long class that will introduce someone to how to read their natal chart. And you can't really use astrology powerfully unless you can read your chart. Sure. So for people who are just starting out who might have a curiosity about astrology, I, you can literally go there and start your journey. Uh, it ain't cheap and it's a big, you know, it's both a big investment and an investment of time because right. astrology is very complex. Um, but once this class is over, it's available forever and then later in the year and in the years to come, there will be all sorts of astrology classes and workshops from teaching about lunar cycles to advanced transit work. And so it's, it's growing starting this year, but you can start studying astrology with me right now. Again, all of this is at michaellennox.com. I'm so excited. And your books are on your website? Yeah, books are on the website as well. There's Dream Sight, S-I-G-H-T. There's Llewellyn's Complete Dictionary of Dreams. There's Llewellyn's Little Book of Dreams. If you haven't figured out by now, my publisher is Llewellyn. <laughs> um, 
And um, the book that's coming out in January, I'm kind of excited about. It's called Psychic Dreaming, Exploring the Connection Between Dreams and Intuition. It's all about shared dreams, visitation dreams, that kind of uh, material. So that, that will be book number four coming yeah. out January 7th. So I encourage everybody to get on your email list um, and to follow you because, yeah. Thank you. I'm so excited. And I will be in, in your future. I've already done the 101 astrology classes by proxy, but I will be in some of your future classes for sure. Yay. So, perfect. Yeah. I love that. Thanks again, perfect. Michael. Just what a treat. My pleasure. This was great. I'm so glad to have been here. Thank you for asking. All right. Have a great day. Bye.